0: Good morning and happy April Fool's Week! This is Lee with Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is episode 7, an in-between bonus episode of just some uh, listener mail, some feedback, some questions that I've gotten on the Facebook page at Five Apple Farm. And I'll do my best to do some answers. This is more to the seat of the pants even than usual. I'm sitting in the kitchen waiting on a breakfast casserole to finish on an off day wonderful to be off on a Monday for a change. Both dachshunds are here with me so if you hear the usual bells ringing or barking in the background please disregard these guys. I want to say thank you to the people who have left feedback and ratings on iTunes. This is just thrilling. Um, I want to thank you. Tony Presto said he's a second year beekeeper and has tons to learn. I want to thank you for the kind words. This is really thrilling. Thank you to um, Rob in Bakersville for saying that I have some honest B talk. And that even if he doesn't necessarily agree with everything I say, that um, he is enjoying it. And that just makes my day. Rogue26, thank you very much for your comment. B pappy. I love that name. That's just wonderful. He was enjoying the the splits episode. So thank you so much, Rescue Forty Six. I am glad that you are glad. There's a podcast from North Carolina. <laughs> I lo- like you. It is nice to. Uh, I agree. When I hear somebody talking about an uh, ecosystem that's, or rather, I guess a climate zone that's similar to mine, it's it's nice. Um, Irish ape. What a great title. Um, You say, good content, good teacher. Thank you. That makes my day. Old man Duncan, who's getting some bees this spring, and says this is a no-nonsense podcast. So I'm really glad. He does comment on the weird buzzing noise in the background of my very first um, episode, which, if you're doing a podcast, that was because I laid the iPhone on a charger pad. Won't do that again. Um, Hill Poet, thank you. Okay, Hill Poet. Hill Poets, my spouse. So, of of course, Hill's Poet had to say something sweet, and I always appreciate that. Um, Mount, let MTSBEZ says, thank you, and that I'm marvelous. Wow, this is really making my day. Jen's Bees says that she's just starting out, also in North Carolina. Wonderful, some more local. And uh, this person signed there in DGUYTY. Said that I explain everything for different levels of experience, and I am really trying to. That's challenging as I have learned. Now on iTunes, uh, there's one bad rating, <laughs> and um, and I actually really appreciate it. It was a person that said that my comments about the Flow Hive turned off a whole group of new beekeepers. This person signed their name J Y A K I M, and um. You know, I did make a joke about the flow hive. It was in an earlier episode, and I was talking about that, you know, there's there's all kinds of good hive configurations, different types of hives, the warre, the top bar, the langstrith, and they're all, you know, they're all good. They have advantages and disadvantages, and I made a joke that the only not good hive was a flow hive. And so I want to apologize to this listener, not that they're probably listening anymore, but, um, you know, I don't like the flow hive, I should have said that was just my opinion. I would like to say if anybody has questions and if you have questions you've got to be a new beekeeper because more experienced beekeepers are pretty unanimous on this that I've seen and I just want to give you my opinion of why I don't like the Flow Hive. I feel like the Flow Hive collected a ton of money and I do mean millions um, to build a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist extracting honey is really easy it is about the easiest part of beekeeping um, you can do it full-fledged by getting a big ol extractor and going whole hog you can do it in your kitchen with no extractor at all doing crush and strain you can do natural comb and just cut comb honey out of your hives all you need is a knife and something to wash your hands with um, so the whole idea of of creating a super that goes on, and then we just turn a knob and we tap the honey like a beer tap. If you're a beekeeper, uh, it's it, I don't know. There's something kind of sad and distressing about this. That that that's what we think of when we think of the bees. That we're just going to walk out there like a vending machine and turn a knob, and the honey's going to come out. I guess it would be like if a, you know, if you're a dairy farmer and you really take pride in your cows and you enjoy working with your cows and you take care of them and you respect them and somebody comes out with a, you know, a milking machine that just stays on all the time and the cow can just be in a, you know, in a stall and nobody ever has to do anything to it. They don't have to say hi to the cow or let the cow out or in. Um, I, I don't know. I know that's a bad example. But maybe you get what I'm trying to say that. It's a, that's a to me, creates a weird relationship with your bees that I'm just going to um, walk out there and turn a tap and honey's going to come out. Um, just on a technicality, I feel like that probably within a season or two, the bees will propolize the super to death and that it won't turn a tap and honey won't come out. There's the whole idea that if, like in the pictures, that if if they show honey just coming out into a jar in the bee yard, you know, a kazillion bees would be all over that jar. So I'm not sure how, what kind of tube system, you know, you work up to keep the bees from jumping back out and robbing their honey right back to them. So I just wanted to say, I I didn't mean to be a smarty and I want to apologize for my tone because it's real important to me. There's, There's just so much judgmentalness Um in beekeeping, which surprises me to no end. I mean, I've been in it since 2010. And, um, you know, well before that, the whole treat, no treat, you're a terrible person if you treat, you're a terrible person if you don't treat dynamic was going on. And um, it's been a a way that I challenged myself to go to bee clubs initially that were pretty much all full tilt chemical everything um, bee clubs. But these were older uh, beekeepers, fellows usually, that had decades of actual beekeeping experience and I wanted to glean everything I could from that even though I did not plan to duplicate their mite treatment methods. It just so happened that my early mentor uh, was a sideliner, uh, probably 30, 40 hives, who at the time did um, fully treatment-free kind of along the Michael Bush um, path, I'd say. And so that was, that was actually my mentor's mentor. And so that's kind of how I was raised and I did it. It's been working for me since then in the sense, not in the sense that I don't have losses because I do have losses, but as a wise person over at Flatwoods Bee Farm said on a Facebook comment, um, if you learn to raise bees, Um, then you're not gonna have to buy replacement bees it's not to me it's not so much a matter of keeping the particular bees alive that you have alive right now but a matter of being able to make more bees plenty of bees spare bees enough bees to restock your hives and larger apiary if you want to to give or sell to beekeeper friends all that Um, although all the while you're doing whatever it is you want to do in terms of mite management in my opinion, something has to be done for mite management if you want to have survivor bees of any kind. Um, but whether that is non-chemical or full chemical and the whole spectrum in between, that's up to you. That's a personal decision. My feeling is if it's working for you, um, bravo, and, um, and and tell me about it. So uh, I got distracted onto that and I knew I would, but I wanted to apologize to the Flow Hive person that I offended and um, anybody else if you got a flow hive you know no harm no foul uh, explore it try it out you know allow yourself to maybe think this may not be the be-all end-all of my beekeeping and if you do that I suspect you'll stay with so let me get to some questions this was sent um, via message on the Facebook page and it's a fella And now I can't find it, so I can't recall his name. But anyway, he was starting to think about getting involved in bees. And he found the whole Langstroth hive purchase to be pretty expensive. And asked my opinion on the whole idea of building your own hive equipment. Um, And I say, listen, if you can build hive equipment, that's great. Uh, If you can just borrow a box from a beekeeper friend to do your measurements with. I know that I have seen on in beekeepers' apiaries that they, you know, they don't do the fancy dovetail corners, which are beyond my carpentry skills, um, but they do just butt joints and uh, maybe some bracing, and it all seems to work, at least for a while, and that's good. I know Sam Comfort of Anarchy Apiaries. I really enjoy a few of his um, YouTube videos, and he has a whole thing of slapping together hive boxes, um, out of any scraps he says he can build a beehive out of a dumpster, and then he uses the oversized jumbo barbecue skewers. I think they're like trimmed down bamboo or something for top bars and his goal is to show that you you don't have to put a lot of money um the homemade uh top bar hives can be very inexpensive, so I say if you're into that, go for it now the i'll, I'll you know the first few years of beekeeping to me. It's it's all about learning the actual beekeeping skills. Um, that's gonna be the the steep curve, and so everything that's weird about your hive stuff, and by weird I just mean not common, um, then it's gonna throw people that you ask for help. So a lot of people, if you say you know you can ask a perfectly legitimate bee question, and once you tell them that you've got a top bar or you've got a Sam Comfort hive going on that'll just freak them out and somehow the, you know, they forget that the bee questions are going to be quite similar um, regardless of the hive. Now the configuration questions and how to make manipulations and all that, what kind of equipment to use, that can really vary depending on what hive you use. So, you know, if it's an option to get equipment that somebody who's going to help you uses it's just going to make it easy for easier for you in my opinion because you're going to be able to look at see look and see what they are doing and go oh I'm just going to do it like that until I have enough experience to have a preference and um, it really takes a few years or it, or it did for me um, where I kind of got the beekeeping skills down before I started going, okay, I really like this box formation, or I really like um, this configuration, you know, with or without a queen excluder, and I really like this hive tool. Um, So try as many different kinds of things as you want, and just if you don't get too fixated on one particular thing, and don't get a ton of it, don't buy 20 of them until you're pretty sure that you're going to like it, then um, I think you can make most anything work. Again, those first few years, it is all about the learning the beekeeping skills. There's my casserole. I'll be back in a minute. So I'm going to keep that in just to keep it real on this podcast of how low-tech and everyday um, <laughs> this just has to be because if I get all hinky about trying to make it well-produced and try to get it perfect, then I'll just stop doing it. So uh, there you have it. The next question, actually, I got a whole um, little flurry of questions about people who had made early splits and then the weather is getting cold and they had some beekeeper remorse, as one was titled. One um, person, Jennifer, had said she had, uh, in that beautiful weather that we were having here in western North Carolina, she had had a beautiful survivor hive over the winter, just one, named Juliet, which I think is lovely, um, and that she got, got kind of excited and pulled out three frames, put them in a little smaller uh, colony and gov- gave them some food and everything, and I'm thinking from the email that she was going to let those three frames make a queen. Now, I, I, this is one thing I have a real strong opinion on, that in my opinion, whichever hive is making a queen for you needs to be really strong. As I've said before, the the best quality queen is going to be a natural swarm queen. You get to have some of those if you find swarm cells, ideally capped swarm cells, the whole, the full capped peanut. If you find those in your hive, there you go. You have nature's best made queen, and you could pull that frame with the swarm cell and then several support frames. I'm saying several because it's early in the season, and one of the critical things is even with a finished swarm cell, um, queen cell, you're going to need enough bees to keep that queen cell warm if you pull them away from the larger hive. So Jennifer, if it were if she asked whether she should redo or recombine, it's totally up to you. You can always just see what happens, watch them, see what happens if they start getting stressed, and, and um, you'll just be able to, I think you'll be able to see that uh, if you, if they start getting stressed, then you might want to recombine them um, and do a split a little bit later. When I'm doing splits early in the year, uh, I like to make them much stronger, meaning more frames of bees than later in the year. So like in the hot summertime, um, it is pretty easy to take, if I run across a beautiful swarm cell that one of my hives is Great, helpfully started making for me um, it is so easy to take just that frame um, if it's got open brood on it that I'm gonna need to give them some some feed but if it's mostly closed brood and that big closed swarm queen cell um, then I could take just another frame of bees stick those two little frames in a queen castle which is just a hive body box that's been divided up into little slits mine particular one holds um, three frames per compartment, I guess you would say, or put them in a little nuke box. Um, you can just make a split with just a couple few frames of bees. And as long as that queen cell is closed, then the feeding of that queen, which is the one of the two main critical components, well, okay, there's three main critical components of queen quality, in my opinion. One is the genetics of both the the mother queen and the father drones. um, Two is feeding, how well she was fed in that absolutely critical uh, days that she was a queen larva and before that cell was capped. And then finally, the quality is going to depend on her mating. So when she uh, mates, then the drones that she encounters, their quality is going to be a big makeup of her offspring's genetics so so those are the components of quality but that that feeding one is something we can really influence in that if we're going to make a split where the split makes their own queen what I like to do is to keep that part of the split whichever part of the split is going to make it is now queenless and going to make their own queen I like to keep it in the original hive spot because that means they're going to get all the flying bees um, that are going to be, you know, hopefully there's a flow going on. There's nectar, there's pollen, and all those flying bees are just going to be this squad of delivery girls bringing um, nectar and pollen to that uh, to the crew who's feeding that baby queen. That's just a, a strong opinion about getting a good quality from a from a split queen. Uh, you probably know that, you know, when you sp- a hive like I'm not talking there's no swarm cells um, in there and you split a hive the part of the hive that's going to be making their own queen they're going to do that through the emergency response which traditionally are thought of as inferior quality queens and I can see why after doing a lot of splits and looking at the queens and then comparing them with both swarm queens and grafted queens um, that they do tend to be smaller which just means that she will probably wear out uh, quicker Um, and part of that may be that the bees are in a giant hurry to get a queen because their absolute life depends on getting a queen so some people think that they they pick a larva at the outside edge of the window of making a queen now the way you can get around that if you are so inclined is um is to after you make the split, the part that's making the queen on day four, after you know, the full twenty four hour, four twenty four hour periods after you made the split, if you very carefully go back into the split and look for any capped queen cells, if they're capped, that's a day early and that means that the the bees got in a bit got in a hurry and they used an over um an older larva so let's so you open that back up on day 24 after you made the split you look around very gently and carefully of course any frame of the queen cell you never want to shake or disrupt it you handle it very gently Um, and so if you see capped queen cells and open queen cells then you can knock down the capped ones knowing that any open ones they um, are the younger larvae So um, on that topic, so if you're in your split and you're knocking down capped queen cells to get the open queen cells, to let them keep going, um, you may want to knock all down but one. And yes, that's rolling the dice that everything will go right with that queen, but the other rolling the dice that you can get if you don't um, knock them down is that more than one queen will come out and instead of duking it out with each other, they will just fly away with a uh, virgin swarm with part of your bees. So that may be beyond a lot of, um, well, it's definitely beyond some of the beginner stuff, but I wanted to cover that just in case. So we listened back through that, and there was a thing when I said something about knocking down cells on day 24. Obviously, that was wrong. It's day 4 after the split that you would be knocking anything down. (laughs) On day 24, you might have a laying queen already, so sorry about that. Um, so finally, the last question I want to talk about, a uh, fella wrote on the Facebook page at Five Apple Farm and asked that he didn't quite get what in the last episode about trickle feeding. He had a hive top feeder, which was a very cool um, hive top feeder. And um, so it sits up there and typically a hive top feeder holds a lot of syrup, like it may, you know, a couple gallons or so. And often um, those are used in the fall to put a bunch of syrup on a hive that does not have enough honey to get through the winter. Um, In my yard that means I've made a terrible miscalculation hopefully hopefully you know I've left enough honey. I try to overwinter my bees entirely on honey but sometimes I don't get it right and the weather doesn't cooperate and I have to give them syrup and so when you want to give a bunch of syrup the hive top feeders they're great because they can get a bunch of syrup in quick that way the bees can cap it and it can be make do honey for their survival. Um, with trickle feeding, which is, I suggested using a mason jar with just a couple of the little pinholes in the lid, um, because uh, mason jar, you, you know, they can't get much out if it's only got a couple pinholes, and so they have this tiny, steady flow, which gives the bees the, f- the, it gives them enough to work on, including at night and on bad weather, but it doesn't give them enough that they store it because if they store it that's going to use up the comb space that you want that queen to lay. All of this if you didn't listen to that one is about um, having a package or a Nuke draw out comb and the caveat that I had said is if you dump a lot of food on them they will put that food in those cells and store it versus using it sometimes and so I found trickle feeding to be handy. His question was, could he use the hive top feeder to do the trickle feeding? And I, I haven't tried that, but I, I think you probably could just by putting a little feed on there every day. Um, depending on the size of your package or nuke, you know, anywhere from a half a mason jar. I love it. In the communication with him I kept saying a half a mason jar or a whole mason jar. You know, down south we measure everything in a mason jar, but that's a quart to the rest of the United States. <laughs> and um So this is a labor intensive thing that you would not do if you're starting out, you know, 20 nukes, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do this. But if you've got one or two in the backyard and you want to uh, just keep them going, then I have found the trickle feeding of a mason jar or half a mason jar a day makes a difference. And I think you could use a hive top feeder if you wanted. You would just put that amount, like every morning, you go out there, you can open it up without bothering the bees, you know, put your amount in there, close it up, Next morning, do the same thing and um, and see. And, you know, if you are a person who's starting off um, a few nukes or a few packages, this is a perfect time um, to experiment, particularly if you've been at this a few years, maybe you're starting over. You know, experiment with trickle feeding, you know, trickle-free feed three of them and then full-out feed the other three. And then just observe what you see happening. You know, in your yard, it may not make enough of a difference to make up for the extra work, um, but it would be interesting, and I admit I've never done it, to do a side by side comparison, um, which is where you learn the most. So that's the last question I'll um, attempt to answer today, but um, I invite you, you are welcome, on the Facebook page um, Five Apple Farm it says bees honey and more but five apple farm three words f-i-v-e apple farm should get you there uh, you can send a message to that page i will do my best to answer you in an upcoming podcast i love uh, any feedback you have i'm i'm open to it this is the part where if you hear kind of groaning uh, noises in the background these are the dachshunds they're they're playing right at my feet um so finally i just wanted to tell you what i'm doing uh, this week in my yard we've gotten through Uh, the 19 degree night. We have a couple of frost nights coming but the temperatures are getting much milder. I'm at 3,000 feet near Mount Mitchell in Yancey County and so we're quite a bit chillier than the surrounding counties. I love, I am, uh, I follow several of the beekeeping groups uh, like I follow the beekeeping group which is a great one in McDowell County just because they're about, uh, I'd love to pinpoint it, but they're, they're flow and bloom is about 10 days ahead of ours and it's a great uh cue for a person who's forgetful and distractible that when I see them say oh I've caught my first swarm then I make a note that in 10 days I may have a swarm and uh, so we've seen I've seen posts about swarms in Buncombe County and McDowell County and Madison County so those are the three uh counties due due south of me so um we should be seeing swarms in Yancey County in the next couple weeks if uh things go well. So at my home yard, which is the coldest of the three yards where I have bees, um, I've been going pretty slow and uh, I've checked the, checked the hives to make sure they're not running out of food and to make sure they're not having swarm cells and they don't. Um, the last time I checked them here, which was about a week ago, um, I did not see uh, much drone brood yet. And so I've just been, I added a box on top of each one. Um, In some cases I reversed the bottom box with eight frame mediums. Often the bottom box is empty toward the end of the winter. Um, And so I was just checking the weights by tilting the hive, checking to see if there's anything in that bottom box. If there wasn't, it's pretty easy to take that bottom box off with mediums and just put it on top and um, that gives them some space, buys me some time, lets them grow without significantly challenging them um, in this cold weather. I mean, the cold weather that we that we had the nights. Um, if it was a scrawny hive, I probably wouldn't put an empty box on top because that's airspace that uh, might chill them. But these were pretty strong, so I didn't worry about reversing that bottom box. Or in the cases of the ones that had brood in their bottom box, of course you would not reverse it because you do not want to split the brood nest. And so in those cases I just added um, a box of drawn comb on top to give them room. That buys me a little time because I don't want to do splits yet because I didn't see any drone brood to amount to anything in there. Now, over at another yard at a farm a few miles from here, it's at a much gentler, um, it's near the river, and it's warmer over there. And the gorgeous, exciting hive that I just can't wait to split was five uh, boxes tall, full of bees, um, and and brewed down all except the bottom box. Just beautiful. They still had enough honey uh, to get them through. And um, I was thrilled to see purple-eyed drones so when I you know when some of the cells split open with me uh, moving boxes the other warm day that we had I look at the drones um, that are you know they're the ones they put sideways in between the boxes often and when you rip those open it's a good time to look and see if you see any mites I did not see any mites of course early in the season you usually don't or I hope you don't and then um, but and I did see purple eye larvae, which is the signal that if I do splits now or shortly then in theory those drones will be sexually mature and flying at about the time that my queen would be going out on her mating flight. Now my dear friend Deborah her bee yard is in an even warmer part of Yancey County and she's already got drone brood out walking around in the hive so she could make splits um, anytime she wants because she's got drones in her area and you don't want to make splits before you got the boys um, up in the air. And so anyway the split that I want to make over at the farm of this very special hive, which there's only one of, uh, it's a, a genetic of an, 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 some old Madison County bees that someone uh, has been generous enough to share with me. Um, I want to split them carefully because I, I just, I've really got my hopes up on this. They're just beautiful. The, the smaller dark bees, which I tend to be fond of, and they just feel old fashioned to me and I, I like to mess with them. So um, what I will be doing with that big box, it's, I feel like it's still too early for me to set up for a graft run in terms of my population because you know with grafting every queen cell that you produce you need a mating nuke and that would really deplete um, at this point uh, deplete more thinly than i'm willing to do some of my other hives that i also want to do splits from so to be conservative with my bee population what i will probably do is i will uh, do even splits i will break that um, big hive up into depending on how it looks when i get in there uh, three or even four even splits by that i just mean each one has about the same amount each one has about the same amount of honey same amount of open brood same amount of cat brood you know roughly if the fates smile on me i will be able to find the queen in five boxes of bees And if I can find her, that will make my work so much easier because then I can, um, you know, much more quickly divide up the rest of the thing into multiple nukes. I will leave one or two at that yard with the knowledge that um, the forager bees are going to be coming back to that spot. So what I might do is the two parts of the split that I leave at the yard, where they started, um, I might turn each of the entrances of those new splits toward where the old entrance used to be but not in the same, same spot. So for example if that and that entrance faces south I might turn these splits temporarily to where one entrance faces east And one entrance faces west you know just all slightly above where the old entrance was so in theory the foragers come back and they the hives not there so they have there's hives not there in front of them so they have to make a decision whether to turn left and turn right to go into those splits and in theory that kind of balances out the forager population. And then part of those splits um, I will bring back to my home yard uh, with the idea to get them in the territory um, where my home yard is, where um, I've done more work with uh, populating it with good, good drones. Um, And so in those splits, one of them is going to have the queen. Hopefully I will know that ahead of time and I will put her in a place of honor because I do plan, Lord willing, to graft from her uh, a little later. But for now, uh, I would just put her somewhere safe. If I cannot, um, in her, you know, in her little nuke that she's in, and her staff and all that um if i cannot locate the queen um, what i will have to do is go back into those splits every one of those splits in a few days um and find you know the ones without the queen should have queen cells going and the ones with the queen should not have queen cells going if everything goes right which is always a big if in beekeeping so that's what I'll be doing. And um so the what I'd said earlier about the nutrition of the queen um ideally the you know a split is is going to um it's going to have enough nurse bees to make a decent queen but later in the season I hope to make superior queens by uh, grafting and you know, using a starter colony that's just loaded with nurse bees and supplies so that you get the biggest fattest queens you can possibly come up with. That's what I hope to do. So um, I'll wrap this up. Thank you so much. If you've listened all the way to the end, you are really dedicated to learning about bees, and it just gives me a good feeling about how things are gonna go for you. I wish you all the best. Stop by on the Facebook page. If you want to leave a question, Five Apple Farm. And um, as always, I appreciate you sharing this podcast with your bee friends, your bee clubs and the groups that you hang out with online. Have a great week.